Here we go. This is it, episode number 270 of No Laugh Track Podcast here at Acme Comedy Company in Minneapolis. This is Justin Severson, the host, uh, and I am here with someone who I haven't seen in years. Uh, you're, uh, you didn't show up in the yellow jacket. It's Jeff Cesario no, is here. That's right. <laughs> who I, from years ago, when I worked at KQRS, and he would come in every winter, would have a show in, Min- yeah. in Minnesota. In your bright yellow winter coat. Yeah, which is, uh, I've hung on to so long, it's now back as vintage. <laughs> oh, that's a vintage Bogner. Yeah, okay, whatever. Podcast 270, that's a straight driver down the center of the fairway. That's right. With a draw on it for me to get the roll down to 270, because <laughs> I'm not hitting anything 270. Nice. No way. I, I, um... I never thought I would have you on this podcast. I started this a little over five years ago. Wow. And here you are finally doing Acme. Oh, man. I, I've always loved this room. I did it a couple times early, maybe, I'm thinking late 90s, somewhere in there. I'm not sure. And then, and then I got so busy behind the camera, I really wasn't getting out as much. Yeah. And didn't want to come here with, uh, you know, a sort of a notebook wandering act. <laughs> you know, oh, hang on. You know, I didn't want to do a lot of that, so I thought I'd rather be a little bit sharper when I came here. And the last year or so, I've been doing more stand-up, so, and enjoying it and kind of making it more personal and a little less of that third-person kind of thing that drove probably the first 20 years of my act. Very third-person observation. Yeah. Right? For sure. And now it's more about me and my family and my act, and and I mean I still do a lot of stuff about things, but I try to, I try to get down to the nub of why that something irritates me or why something makes me laugh or makes, or, or I find enjoyable. So I try to make it come from a little bit more of a personal place. So I just been working more, and I said I'm going to call Lewis and see if he's got any time. And he said. I got November. I said, perfect. Yeah. I'm in. Yeah. I love this room. This is a great place. And it's uh, Thursday, this tonight. So you haven't worked yet this week here. Nope. Tonight will be my first show. Because last night you were in the first row at the World Series, right? Was that you next I to was Larry not. King? That was not. No? Uh, that doesn't say much for the state of baseball when the two most prominent celebrities are Mary Hart and Larry King. And you go, okay. I kind of understand why the pace of American sports has shifted to football as the most popular. Yeah. <laughs> then they made a concerted effort, I think, the seventh inning stretch. Hey, there's someone under 50. <laughs> there's a guy from a Fox sitcom who's only 42. Yeah, right. Hey. You know, they really went out of their way to do a, a pastiche of uh, Remember young Jason celebs. Bateman? Yeah, he had arrested development before it went to Netflix. Yeah, he's, yeah, there he is standing up and stretching. There's a, there's a guy from a band who did a soundtrack on one of our animated series. You know, it's just like really lame. Um, but a tremendous series. Wasn't it? Really. Except and, for, did you watch the game last night? Yeah, I did not think it was a letdown. It was, it was as, a do, as a semi-Dodger fan. Let me put it this way. Now I know what it's like to root for a team and not be a psycho, rust belt, blue collar dude. From Wisconsin, because, you know, I'm Packers through and through. I moved here way early in my career and became a Twins fan, so I'm Twins through and through. Yeah. So, you know, those are the teams I root for, diehard, and University of Wisconsin, until I die. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, those are the uh, teams, Justin, where I'm literally like, 
All right, I got to turn it off. I'm getting too much agita. I can't take it. Uh-huh. Uh, all right, I'm just going to check my score up every eight minutes because that's the way they won the last time. You know, like <laughs> right, right. psychotic, right. like crazy. And the Dodgers, I never liked the Dodgers growing up because they had Garvey and they had, you know, I kind of liked Ron Say, but they had a lot of guys that I really didn't care for. And, and Lasorda, I kind of went hot and cold on. I uh-huh. respected them as a team, respected what they did, certainly. Uh, liked Kirk Gibson. But the rest of the Dodgers is eh, meh. You yep. know, and they always beat the teams I kind of enjoyed watching. So I thought, ah, oh, the hell with them. And then they kind of went south for a long time. Long time. And then they had a horrible owner for a long time. And he bailed. Then they kind of got good ownership. Then they got Roberts. And uh, Dave Roberts is a tremendous manager. Now I look up and I go, man, they just got an entertaining young team that has sort of washed itself of of all the guilt and shame and <laughs> ego and hubris from years past. Uh-huh. And I'm like, okay, this is just a whole different team. I can kind of root for them. They're fun to watch. They're really fun to watch. I yeah. mean, who the hell, who has the balls to have a 22-year-old cleanup hitter? Who? Nobody, you know? And to stick with them and you go, I go, my, he's not hitting the inside curve. And they're just they're just nailing him with inside curves. And I just went, good for Robert. Stick with this kid. When he's 26, it'll all pay off. Yeah, you know? Bellinger, right? Yeah. yeah. Just tremendous. So I think he set a record for strikeouts in the World Series. Yeah, I believe he did. Yeah. So now to be able to root for a team like probably most people root for a team that aren't in that sort of northern Midwest Rust Belt Buffalo through Pittsburgh into Cleveland. I talk with Michael Keaton about this every now and then because we stay in touch. And, and, and uh, you know, we go, yeah, it's so crazy to just, you know, like I'll get a tweet from him like, man, Badger's looking good. In the middle of, you know, he's in London filming a movie, yeah. you know, and just because he knows he has that mindset. He's from Pittsburgh. Oh, so. I was going to ask you where. Yeah, yeah, he's from Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh. He's from the Berg. So those guys still have that mindset, sure. you know. So to root for a team where you go, ah, tough series. You know that's it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know if the, oh my god if 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 this had been Wisconsin in the Rose Bowl I don't I don't know if I could have made the podcast right I, I, I right. would st- be still in a fetal position mm-hmm. if they'd have lost a close I, one I thoroughly believe that why didn't we get an update from uh, what Mary Hart is actually up to these days besides just sitting there I need do you to really know. want that yes you want an update as to what Mary Hart I want to know here's what she's up to she's starting to look like Larry King. <laughs> She's starting to get that lower jaw that my mom got when she went 75 and got dentures and something's not really working right down there. And No, you're wrong. She doesn't age. She doesn't age? She doesn't you got a crush on Mary Hart? Since like 1985, probably. Wow, yeah. yeah. Well, that's because yeah. uh, that's, that's the mental snapshot you have of Mary Hart. You're right. You notice that they shot her consistently through the backstop screen. <laughs> yes. That's going to soften up anybody. Larry I King also, is still went, well, yeah, like too bad for 103. They should have Then given they got him, close on him, and you went, oh, my God. They should have given him one, like, uh, you know, one of those beds where you can hit a button and it helps you stand up. Yeah. Because everyone's standing for right. these dramatic parts of the game. Not Larry. No. Not Larry and his handler. He might be the next HGTV project, because that's what it's going to take <laughs> to get his face back together. If anybody hits him with even, like, a ping pong ball, it'll just shatter. He's I, had so much work done. I agree. Did you did you uh, turn it off last night, or did you watch? Did you see? I the, watched uh, all the way through. engagement afterwards. Yes, I did. The Carlos and how can Correa. you? You know, you can't really root against Houston. Tremendous ball club, paid a lot of dues. Yeah, 
uh, you know, Altuve. Had to switch to the American League to win it. Yes, that's right. Had to switch to the American League to win it. And Altuve, you know, that's the great thing about, you know, coming to Los Angeles. He got a, uh, he got a, a children's modeling contract. <laughs> <laughs> so what a, what a stud. I don't know if I've ever called anybody five, five and a half a stud. <laughs> no one ever has. Just a monster at the plate. Just won't give in. Just yeah. tremendous. Their lineup is really, really a bunch of good hitters. I yeah. don't care how, quote, unquote, tired everybody said L.A.'s bullpen was. They weren't tired when they won whatever they won the night before, 3-1 or whatever it right. was. That was scintillating pitching. And even this, even the last game, people say, uh, uh, you know, a bit of a letdown. Uh, dramatic, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, Dodgers, men on, and just drilling. Ball. They had three line shots yeah, that's caught true. that would have changed the game. And you go, well, this is still dramatic. And, you know, the way they hit, you got to go, I'm watching this through the bottom of the ninth. They could score four. Oh, for sure. Oh, yeah. So it was still pretty exciting. And I think the key for... For Houston, honestly, was Peacock in game three or four, whenever it was, who came in and just threw four scintillating innings and then did again last night. And then uh, the Morton kid. Who, yeah, I think Charlie. That was his name. Yeah, Charlie came Morton. Out of, yeah, tremendous. Yeah. They got pitching. They got guys who just nutted it up and, and went at it. Are you going to games at any, at any no. time? No? No, I can't. Uh, <laughs> Not even a regular season on a Wednesday? I would have to uh, corral my lawyer and try to get his tickets because, you know. Is it that My hard? kid wants to go to a baseball game. I'd like to get her something that isn't in the nosebleeds, yeah. you know. So I'll probably wait until next season and then take her to an early season game. Uh, and I don't know who I want to see. I don't know if the Twins get out there. They, we might go to the Angels more than just because I'll get a chance to see the Twins. And my wife's a bit of an Angels fan, so that'll be fun. There you yeah. go. Yeah. There you go. So we don't get out much. My kid kind of likes it. She gets bored pretty quickly, like any. She's nine. Yeah. So, uh, but she's got a great sense of humor. She walked into the uh, into the room the other day with a dollar bill, and she points at it, and she goes, you know who's dead? This guy. What? And I thought, what? how did she channel Dennis Miller? When did he get a chance to spend two weeks with her and teach her some chops? Because it was it was dead on, Dennis Miller. It was so hilarious. Then she, then she took out an encyclopedia, went page by page. Dead. Yeah. Dead. Yeah, she said, I don't know, uh, last time... Uh, <laughs> Last time I saw money, this green Nebuchadnezzar was king. <laughs> yeah, all right. All right, kid. I love it. <laughs> I got one more thing about the uh, World Series. Mm-hmm. This is my little uh, hey, talk, sort of claim to fame. My first job, I was, I was in fifth grade. I don't know when you had your first job. Mine was in fifth grade delivering wow. newspapers. Oh yeah, yeah. I delivered papers back then. And yeah. back then, there was there was still that was an... considered a job, but yeah, I'll yeah, sure. Yeah. Hey, they paid me for it. They did. Uh, they had an afternoon edition. Imagine, you know, now yeah. papers are dying. You know, yeah, every right. week, month, or whatever. And there was actually an afternoon edition, an edition of the morning of uh, the St. Paul Pioneer Press. Oh wow! So my That's first, right. yeah, yeah. So I delivered the afternoon for a year, and the guy who delivered in the morning that I split the route with was the home plate umpire last night at the game. Get out. Yeah, Mark Wagner is his name. He That's was my crazy. Neighbor. Yeah, isn't that cool? Wow. Yeah. And he delivered again. <laughs> no controversy whatsoever with the umpiring the entire series, really. There was a, he called, I was watching, it was the eighth or ninth inning, he called a ball to the, uh, a strike that was so freaking low. It was in the... Yeah, but you know something? 
Here's the here's what I think of that. Swing the frickin' bat. It's yeah. the World Series. Yeah. yeah. And the umpires, I believe, have the leeway to kind of tweak that. Sure. And, uh, you know, if they call a consistent strike zone, that's all I care about. Right. And they did. They called a consistent strike zone for the most part, not only for both teams, but within the strike zone itself. Like, you could see by the, the little computerized plate um, strike zone that yeah. they now have that some balls that were – and first of all, I'm not sure I trust all that because a ball might pass through the strike zone and finish at the catcher's mitt True. out of the strike zone yep. and still be in the strike zone. So I got to give the umpire some slack on that. And then the second thing was consistently one guy's hole inside. Inside by about three inches you go, that's still a strike with this guy. Yeah. You know? I don't know who it was. I can't remember two, three games ago. But you go, but outside, same pitch, ball. And you go, wow. But he's consistent, both teams. So so they consistently called it. I did see that pitch. I went, that was low. Mm. But I went, you know what? Get the bat off your shoulder for Pete's sake. At that point, if you got you two know, strikes in the game seven. Speaking of Pittsburgh, go Manny Sanguian. <laughs> Be the worst bad, the best bad ball hitter of all time. Yeah, exactly. The best worst ball hitter of all time was Manny Sanguian. Just pitches bouncing in. He's just cricketing them out into right field for a single. <laughs> and you go, Manny, wait for something over the plate. Nope. I got shit to do today. Bang. It's my time to swing. <laughs> That's right. I saw your uh, – your, I, I laughed when I read your tweet the other night about um, gloves over faces of – Yeah. <laughs> I have a sports announcer character, Chet Water. Yes. Who I've been doing uh, on and off for the better part of 30 years. Yeah. On a lot lately, I do him once a week on Steve Gorman Sports on Fox Sports Radio. Um, That's on every, satellite, right? Every Monday, yeah, it's on satellite every Monday. Uh, I think it might be terrestrial too. Um, and then I, I've been for the summer. I started doing them on Adam Carolla's podcast, yeah, and really getting a lot of traction. Really seemed to connect with with uh, with his listeners, and he was digging it. And through his uh, uh, grace and class, I was able to come on about every couple of weeks and generated enough traction where Podcast One said, do you, would you like to do a Chet Waterhouse podcast? And I said, I'd love to. So I just inked the contract, and we're going to um, no start shit. in on Chet uh, probably next week. Like once a week, I'll, do a, I'll get a sportscaster or a celeb or a comic or somebody in there, and I'll just do a Chet Waterhouse interview. And for... Um, for the listeners of this podcast who haven't heard him, you can go to probably go to Adams and get a sampling of him. But uh, Chet has the worst endorsements in the world. He's kind of a minor league. Never got up to the majors because he uh, keeps screwing himself with things. He says, man, oh, man, that kid's harder to catch than a glimpse of your neighbor's wife naked. Can I say that? I can't on Fox. Uh-oh, I'm fired. <laughs> so that's sort of Chet's yes. career. Yeah. Uh, and so he does all the minor league sports. Welcome to international speed fishing. That's a combination of speed skating and ice fishing. Norway's in the lead with an elapsed lap time of 52.3 seconds and seven walleye. But Japan's right on their heels. So he calls everything like it's the third game of the World Series. You know, he calls everything like it's super important. Mm-hmm. And he's very gung-ho and uh, is full of bad metaphors and just horrible sponsors. Just uh, uh, this portion of the broadcast brought to you by Incognito. You'd never guess we're plumbers. You know, just, <laughs> just like horrible Things, and then I make them up as I go along sometimes. So when I was watching World Series, I made up a Chet sponsor, which is uh, this portion of the broadcast brought to you by Baseball Gloves. 
when you want to say something very intimate to someone, but you don't want them to read your lips, <laughs> try baseball gloves. I love so it. it's that. It's that. And uh, so what I'll do on the podcast is, uh, knock on wood, I'll be able to keep it mercifully short at 30 to 40 minutes tops. Okay. I'll interview someone. I'll do a little update at the beginning. Uh, hey, let's check the ticker. Collages. Oh, wait a second. That's colleges. You know, so I'll do <laughs> yeah. stuff like that and deliver actual results, a little two-minute update. And then I'll interview someone and probably get their, get the questions all wrong. You get their background. It says here you're in a you're a you're in a sitcom. Wait, what? A, you got a talk show, oh brother? You know, so I'll do that and a lot of uh, faux pas and things like that. But just have a lot of fun and, and interview people, and then I'll have another uh, update probably at the end. So I'll bookend them with funny little updates and pepper bad sponsors throughout the yeah. entire throughout the entire interview. So knock on wood, I'll start on that next week or the week after and uh, get it up. I'll definitely let you guys know. Yeah, so this is like fresh news. Fresh news. Literally did one of those automatic sign things on my phone uh, right before uh, uh, I went to bed last night. No kidding. Yeah, and just signed the paperwork last night. So I'm very... Thank you. I'm very excited about it because I've been working chat for a long time and... And uh, I, I had think a this would be a great Waterhouse video. T-shirt, I believe, from yes, you. Yes, probably. probably like 15 years ago. That's right. Play with paint on the back. I yes. Think so I'm gonna have to um, uh, warm those babies up again. Yeah, I don't have it anymore. I if think the podcast, yeah, I'm sure there's a homeless guy wearing it in South St. Paul somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Coincidentally, that's where I was working this morning in South St. Paul. Wow, there you go. I'm sure. I'm <laughs> sure he's pull. got it. Yeah. <laughs> I used it as a rag when I was painting this house. Exactly. It, that's a good use for that because that wasn't great cotton, as I recall. Yeah. Probably not your top line. Probably not your top line T-shirt. Yeah. How did you get in with Corolla? You know, a good buddy of mine is uh, uh, David Wild, who is the former, uh, uh, still writes for Rolling Stone, and uh, and uh, David and I. David is one of the best uh, music writers out there, and has written forever. Is super passionate about it. A great guy, also a funny guy. So I met him doing a lot of award shows. Uh, you know, um, I do a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff still, producing and writing and stuff like that. And award shows pop up, you know, and they're great uh, sort of income fillers. You go, you know, hey, in six weeks we're doing the, you know, the BMI awards or something. Right. Can you come in and write some jokes? So I met David doing that kind of gig because he was always there doing all the long music stuff, all the um, – official stuff, all the heartfelt stuff that anybody has to say that, you know, isn't, you know, Miranda Lambert's not going to sit down and write her heartfelt Susan Komen tribute. You know what I mean? So David writes those and then, you know, works on them because he knows all the musicians. He goes, how do you feel about this copy? And then they'll rewrite it or polish it or something. But, you know, David gives them the, the bulk of that kind of stuff. And then he's also funny, so you get two birds with one stone with David because he'll write all that, all the pitter patter that the people have to say, and then he'll come into the comedy room and and, and help with punch up too. Right. So I met him doing that, and he was doing Corolla's podcast, and I believe still does every month, every couple of weeks, something just to, just to have fun and talk music and play music trivia oh, okay. games and stuff. And I said, David, I got this sports and as a character, I'd love to get in. And I knew Adam a little bit from I'd worked with Adam on some Comedy Central projects and. He was always very complimentary, and I was always a fan of his. So he said, well, let me, you know, hook you up with this producer. And uh, I went in and 
did it one day, and, it, and uh, you know, it got a lot of laughs in the room. Plus, it turns out Adam goes, literally, on that pot, he goes, you were Chet Waterhouse. And I go, yeah. And he what? goes, he goes f- the early 90s, I did Chet Waterhouse on um, uh, K-Rock in L.A., which is the big alt-rock station at the biggest time in the world for alt-rock. Yeah. Um, and I preceded Jimmy Kimmel as the morning sports guy on um, uh, Kevin and Bean. Which, and Kevin and Bean, I believe, still do the morning show on K-Rock, if I'm not mistaken. So they've had a lot of longevity. Uh, and so Kevin and Bean were kind enough to have me on, and I would, I would literally, sometimes I would go in, and a lot of times I would just do it from my home the night before so I didn't have to get up at 6 a.m. Yeah. Uh, and I'd do a little sports cast for him like every, like three times a week. I think it was three, four times a week. And it was great fun, and I got a little dough for it and uh, and had a great time. And, and I would do it pretty much kind of similar to what I'm doing now, where, boom, real results, one line after it, yeah. you know. Um, you know, it's like a waitress with a bad memory. The Astros just keep coming at you. <laughs> you know, just bad analogies uh-huh. and things like that. And uh, Adam... Turns out was a huge fan of that and said it went downhill when Kimmel took over. <laughs> <laughs> he said, I clearly remember driving in my pickup truck, going to gigs. And that's back when he was still doing contracting as well as, as just beginning to get into show business. Yeah. So he said, I used to love that. So he kind of took a shine to it. And then I've been doing it about every couple of weeks since. And uh, it's been working for them and clearly working for me. So that's yeah. how I got in. That's crazy. Yeah, it is. It really is crazy. I saw. Uh, I want to know. I, I wrote it down here somewhere. The the thing, the sports thing that you were doing like thirty years ago. What what net com, What was the name of Sports Network? Or oh, uh, Sportalicious dot com. No, not that. Oh, no, not. no. Oh, sport. Uh, I did a pilot. Was it just one? It was episode? just one for CBS. It was for called CBS. the Sports Comedy Network. That's what it was. And. Um, you did a whole, what was it, like an hour show you put together? A half hour. Oh, it was a half hour. And it was uh, produced by the late, great Don Olmeyer. Yeah. And it was for CBS, early 90s. And uh, the premise was I was going to be the, at the time, young anchor <laughs> for a uh, sort of a stepchild sports network that was trying to compete with ESPN but didn't have the money. That was the premise of the show. Okay. The idea CBS had was we want to get funny sports highlights into primetime. And I went, great, this this pairs up nicely. They said, we love that character. Let's do it. And then I got um, sort of sports reporters or correspondents, you could call them. And we went at everything a little bit left to center. Uh, I had a great comedian named Larry Amaros who came in and did a fashion review of uh, of uh, sports uniforms, you know, which was probably 10 to 12 years too early, <laughs> you know, because okay. uh, Larry did it. You know, he went full bore uh, queer eye for the straight guy, you know, full bore project runway, mm-hmm. really. And it was hilarious. Then I did. um uh uh, we had a guy came in and did sort of a greatest hits, like a like a like a like a strong urban FM. Yeah, these are the greatest hits of the week. He did a whole thing. Don, I want to say Ross, um, great actor, great comic, came in and did his thing. 
And then, of course, the hits were, were good hit highlights. And then we would do things in, like, at number four, this Volvo hitting a wall. You know, <laughs> we would just do crazy, sure, sure. dumb crap like yeah, yeah, that. Yeah. Nice. And uh, I had uh, we had a bunch of stuff that we mixed and matched and really had a good time. And I had Kareem Malbdulzabar as a guest, and it was hilarious. And uh, we made the green room literally two feet from the stage because we the the conceit was we didn't have the money for anything. Okay. And our conceit visually was we wanted to shoot it like at the time Letterman was so hot. And he did all those great remotes from his offices and would do entire eight-minute, ten-minute pieces from his office with just handheld cameras and stuff. That's the look we were going after. So I said, well, let's just say we're broke and we can't. And so uh, we literally shot it with Kareem in the green room, and then he took two steps over to the the place where I was interviewing him. But it's one of the great stories of all time. One One of my greatest Hollywood stories is literally at the 11th hour, and I mean 11 p.m. the night before we were shooting the pilot, Don Olmeyer comes in. And Don was just a great character. He literally had a cigarette in one hand with a drink in that hand while he's eating a beef burrito in his other hand. It's just a classic old school. And he's like, no, 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 we can't use that look. The studio doesn't want that. We got to have like a stage and you're behind a desk like ESPN presenting highlights. And I'm like, Don, it's it's literally 11 p.m. We don't have the time to change. He goes, all right, we're going to sh- use my pickup studio. So we shot the whole thing in a place no bigger than this club and no higher ceiling. So the lighting was a little off, and the whole thing was a little off all of a sudden. And I didn't really have the power at that time to say, no, I, I don't think we can do that. And I didn't think I had the backup from uh, a business standpoint to be able to make that play. Sure. So I kind of had to, I kind of went along with it. And... Um, it didn't serve the show well. Then technically we had a ton of problems. Like the sound was off and oh. it was like crazy. But I thought there was enough funny stuff in it uh, where someone would go, okay, we see 15 minutes of potential in this 22 minutes. Let's do that and not do this, this, and this. But, uh, you know, it's their network and they said no. <laughs> Plus, you know, ironically, they didn't understand that there would be a lot of issues with trying to procure sports highlights. Oh, <laughs> you know, they so literally just, just like, literally them. like we were going to them. Okay, we can use this eight second Tyson's thing, but it's you know ninety nine thousand five hundred dollars, and we can only use this six seconds, not the ten seconds we wanted. And they're like, "What? Ninety five hundred dollars?" They go, "Hey, we're dealing with your sports department on half this stuff." You know, yeah. the NFL highlights were all coming from CBS. Yeah, they want twelve twelve thousand bucks for that. And they go, "No, we can't afford any." You know, so it was like off from that standpoint. And then it became okay. Well, let's go get the funny sports highlights. And then you go, "Yeah, even those are four grand, five grand." And then you know, then you got to put two lawyers from two different causes in the same room to try to work out. Yeah. Okay, you can use this for a first-run cycle domestically, but you can't use it in South America. And, that, you know, and I mean these uh, – they were jumping through hoops just to get, you know, highlights, you know, of a guy getting hit in the nuts by a viper, you did, know, that did, literally did just Albert, jumps out of a bush. Did Marv Albert have these problems bringing his clips to Letterman? No. No, he did uh-huh. not because it was Letterman and it was Marv. Yeah. So we couldn't compete with that, and I think that was – Really, the final nail in the coffin. It was just too big a headache from a business standpoint. Sure, unfortunately. Sure, sure. But so we did one of those. I can't remember. You remember that? That's hilarious. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. 
And I watched it. There's a, there's a few clips on YouTube from that. Oh, my God. There mm-hmm. are? Mm-hmm. Good Lord. Mm-hmm. That's hilarious. But I opened with, I remember with Chet Waterhouse, we did a cold open where I was in like a white wig and a, a bad blazer. And, uh, <laughs> and I did some bad highlight. And then we went to me. It was, it was at the time when I was hot enough coming off some Tonight Shows where people said, well, let's give this guy a pilot. <laughs> and I didn't really want to do a sitcom. And I didn't have an idea. I didn't have a good idea for a sitcom. And. I, at the time, did not want to do a nightly talk show kind of thing because it just seemed like uh, that wasn't something I would excel at. So then this thing came along, and I went, well, this is kind of reality and kind of sports, and maybe I can do this. And uh, the answer was no, you cannot do this. <laughs> is there, was there a chat somewhere where you got that name? Uh, you know, there was, uh, there was a, an announcer out of Chicago named Chet Kopic who was just larger than life. He's literally like 6'5 like in person. Oh, okay. And uh, just, hey, how are you? Had a totally different voice. And then, uh, uh, so there was a little of that, a lot of euchre Yeah. Uh, uh, with Chet Waterhouse. The name and the attitude came from two places. The first was Jack Brickhouse out of Chicago. He used to do the Cubs and was oblivious to anything. And that's what I love about Chet Waterhouse is he just shoves it into fifth gear and goes. Yeah. And and the the great anecdote for that with Jack Brickhouse was I was a kid watching the Cubs and seeing Jack Brickhouse do the tenth inning, which was their post game show. Jack's interviewing a, a guy named Steve Ontiveros, who had just c- come up with the Cubs, was playing third base. Cubs had won, and Ontiveros had a hit or something. And so they're interviewing Ontiveros, and Jack Brickhouse is literally like, "Well, Steve, that was a great game, and uh, and it's got to be such a relief." This is back in like seventy seventy one. So he's like, oh, such a relief to uh, finally have an all-Latin infield for the Cubs. Uh, you've got Ontiveros at, at third now, Steve. You're at third. And uh, we've got DeJesus at short and Rosello at second and Alou at first. And uh got to be a great advantage to be able to speak Spanish in the infield uh, so your signals don't get picked up by uh, other teams. And Ontiveros looks him right in the eye and goes, uh, I don't know, Jack. I was born in Bakersfield. I don't speak a word of Spanish. <laughs> and Jack literally goes, all right, let's talk about your hit. And he, <laughs> boom, just drives right through the, 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 the snowdrift, doesn't care, blind, just boom, right through it. Yeah, don't worry about that. Don't worry about what I just said. <laughs> and then the other guy was a guy out of Wisconsin named Earl Gillespie, who did, who did uh, Wisconsin football when I was a kid. Okay. And uh, they were horrible when I was a kid. You know, Wisconsin football since the late 60s was, was, for about 30 years, there was just bad. Oh, the one time the golfers were good, you mean? Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. So, but, he, but, you know, again, I'm a kid listening on radio, and he made it sound so exciting. And that's the other element. Is it, the, the, the first element I love about Chet is he drives through anything. The second is he, he's very – he will call anything like it's the seventh game of the World Series. Yeah. So I would hear these calls. There's the kickoff from Illinois. Billy Merrick under it at the five. Turning, spinning, driving to the six. And he – I think he fell down, Earl. <laughs> you know, now as an adult, I look back and go, oh, he probably bobbled it and took a knee. You know, <laughs> but Earl made it sound like he was pouring his heart and soul into Badger football. And and that's the other part of it that I love. So that those are the sort of th- spiritually those are the uh, those are the background for Chet. So nice. Yeah. Are you going to have a? Uh, are you going to be in charge of booking this podcast? Are you going to have to search Probably. out your guests? I believe I'll get some help from a podcast one because they do a lot of sports podcasts. So there'll probably be some uh, 
what do they call it? Uh, uh, horizontal integration. Sure. Where I'll, you know, I'll, I'll, uh, I know uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin has a podcast. I'd love to have him on. We chat talking to him about wrestling and and uh, they have you know, and Adam himself and uh, Jay Moore has a podcast on Podcast One and. Uh, um, Greg Damashek has a podcast. Uh, Dave Damashek, I apologize. Dave Damashek has a podcast. He's a big NFL guy. Okay. So I'll probably start with all of those guys, and I'll I'll get some guys of my own. I know Norm Chad real well, who does the World Series of Poker. is great. And you could hit up. Uh, I saw you were doing a thing for the Big Ten Network. Mm-hmm. You could probably hit up some of those people again. Absolutely. Right? Well, I'll Co- get Mike. How many times you talked to Bob Costas? Uh, yeah, I'll get Costas on. I'll probably get Rick Riley and uh, maybe Colin Coward and. Uh, and Mike Hall from Big Ten Network, and uh, and uh, there'll be several guys I'll be able to pull in from that end of it. That yeah. uh, that and now finally we'll be able to go full bore, and I'll just be the idiot and you know asking them about uh, Bob those Winter Olympics. You ever get cold? You ever have to pee in the middle of it? You know, just idiot questions. And, yes, uh, good. And good, have good, them good. just uh, look at me cross-eyed or do whatever they want to do. I'm not going to tell them to. They don't have to play along. I'd prefer, in fact, if they were just. Uh, Chet, that's the oddest question I've ever... You know, that's fine with me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because then I can go right to a... All right, well, that dead end brought to you by my uh, throwbacks, the e-cigarette you light with a match. <laughs> you know, so, so I'll always have bailouts. Yeah, right, right. Because that's who Chet is. So uh-huh. We'll go is uh, in, now the the show that you're doing this week at Acme, mm-hmm. is Chet in the show? I do, yeah. I do a little. Uh, I do a little uh, chat in the show and uh, just a, sort of an informal thing and and have fun with it. Just because I'm trying to kind of tie the the two together. You yeah. Know? So, so yeah, I have fun with it, uh, and I'm gonna allow myself to let it grow kind of naturally on stage in my stand up. There's probably three four minutes that I do now, and then I'll see if it goes anywhere from there. Kind of feel people out. I like the idea of chat calling virtually anything. Yeah, chet absolutely. Calling, you know, your wedding. Yeah, anything. Yeah, she's coming down the aisle, and it looks like there's some tension between her and her dad. You know, (laughs) (laughs) just so we'll see. Uh, I might take it that route. So, like in the last year, how much have you been doing? How much stand up have you actually been doing? I've probably been out uh, on average once every four to six weeks. Which for me is a Cal- lot. You're getting out of the state of California. Um, and- in California, out of state, California, Palm Springs, San Diego, in state, and then. Uh, been doing a couple of dates with a uh, Brian Regan, uh, tr- you know, ridiculous, Never heard hilarious of comic, <laughs> and uh, I may executive produce. Looks like I'll be executive producing his Netflix show. He's going to have a four episode commitment from Netflix to do a stand up slash sketch type show. Oh wow! Roughly equivalent to what Chappelle did structurally, where you're on stage telling jokes that set up then a sketch. So we'll probably go that route structurally. I don't think we're reinventing the wheel there. But with sure. Brian's comedy, it so lends itself. And he's so hilarious, not just from a word standpoint, but physically, facially. He really plays the whole instrument. So I can't wait to extend his stand-up bits into a sketch and get a little writer's room together and have some fun and write four episodes of that and then produce them and get them up and uh, and uh, knock on wood Netflix will dig them and we'll do more of them. It is really cool to find, uh, hearing more and more people that come and work at Acme have that really good opportunity to work for him. Uh, Kermit Apio does some opening for right, Brian yes. Regan. Uh-huh. Uh, Jackie Cation, I believe, is right. open for him. So I've been out uh, in July. I was out with him a couple of dates and I'm going out in December a couple of dates. Oh, okay. December is uh, with Brian is uh, 
Madison and Detroit. Nice. So, yeah. So, plus that way we get a chance to do a little writing on the road and uh, a little more fleshing out of the concept. And so, knock on wood, when, when the, the, speaking of paperwork, that paperwork is, is, now in the in the uh, in the clutches of lawyers as we speak, uh, hopefully ironing everything out, and it's gone back and forth between the network and the production company. And knock on wood, will be done sure. soon. So, how long uh, how long did you live in? You lived in Minneapolis. I only lived up here really about three years, from late eighty through about mid eighty three, uh, and then I moved you were done to with Los college Angeles. then. Oh yeah, I was done with college. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was done with college. College was done with me. As well. uh, so yeah, I, I got out of college and worked a little bit in Madison, uh, and up here in the Twin Cities, doing uh, mostly newspaper work and some some uh, some music. I was playing at the time, drums and percussion. So I was doing like some studio work. Uh, when I first got to town is when I met the Peterson brothers and the Peterson family and it's oh, legendary here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I wound up doing a couple things with Ricky and just some sessions and stuff, and um, which was great fun. And at the same time, I was also uh, writing and did some freelancing for the Minneapolis Star. Um, um, I knew an editor there, Marilyn Taylor, who's a really great uh, person, A, and great uh, uh, writer and editor. And she was working at the Star and liked some of my stuff. So I was freelancing there and picking up some music work. And I thought, all right, if I move up there to do stand-up, I know I can make enough to <laughs> to make ends meet sure. to, to, to support myself by uh, writing and playing music. And then pretty quickly, because comedy was booming in the early 80s, we got to a point where where I could make a decent living just doing stand-up. Now, you just brought that up. Do you notice anything now com- similar to then of a boom where you are know, we in a boom right now are we know, in one are we is it still building well i think i think probably it's a boom but it, there's so many platforms now that i mean yeah you know, we, you know we've barely mentioned the hot i mean for you you're a perfect example of how things have changed so much yeah I well mean, i mean you know i went behind the camera because i kind of had always wanted to uh eventually try to write and produce yeah. and, and my own stuff and I'm just kind of now getting there. Um, but I enjoyed it. I mean, you know, I worked uh, Dennis Miller Live and won two Emmys with HBO. And then Hell I went yeah. to Larry Sanders and did a movie with Michael Keaton called Jack Frost. Yeah. And, uh, and then went back into TV and worked a show called uh, Talk Show with Spike Ferriston. And then worked on Queen Latifah's daytime show and worked a Russell Brand show called Brand X for FX. And did a bunch of stuff. And, and then uh, did uh, Hannibal's show for Comedy Central, which was Why with Hannibal Burris. So... So I've done a ton of stuff, and I enjoy it. I really enjoy sitting down and trying to go, okay, how best do we deliver this person's comedy to mm-hmm. America? That's uh, something that I enjoy. So so, so I did that. But nowadays, boy, if you're starting out in comedy, you are in charge of your own brand. And there's podcasts, and there's blogging, and there's uh, sketch comedy, and there's radio, and there's uh, YouTube, and there's, you know, there's... Ten great ways to get your comedy out there, uh, including stand-up, but none of them really rely anymore on having to be a great stand-up. The sort of opener, middle, headliner standard doesn't really apply anymore. It's how are you funny and where best can your funny take you? And it might be just podcasting. It might be some sort of blog. It might be, and I don't mean just podcasting, but I mean it might be the vehicle for your st- for your comedy 
Your comedy might be better suited to a different vehicle. Sure. Um, so A, you got to figure that out. And then B, you got to get a social media presence. It's crazy. Yeah. I mean, you know, because which is kind of a throwback. I don't know if people see it that way. But the idea that you have to bring asses into the seats is one of the oldest ideas in showbiz. I mean, it was, you know, except for the initial boom in stand-up comedy, which was 70s and, and 80s, when the club itself became the thing. When it was just like, oh, you're not going to believe the most fun place you can go is the stand-up club in town. Because it, it doesn't matter who they get. They're getting funny people. And, you know, so that kind of took over as the brand okay. for a while was just the club itself. And now individual comics have to still have a brand, enough of a brand where you can have some social media presence, help bring people into the club, that kind of thing. You know, it's just uh, capitalism at its finest. It's just working it. Think how many social media followers would Jeff Cesario have if those things existed when you were doing, you know, a dozen Tonight Shows? Oh, yeah. It, it Imagine the bumps you could have yeah, gotten. People seeing you with Carson Absolutely. and then picking up their phone and going, I like this guy. Yeah. Boom, now I'm connected on my phone. Right. And I was still doing the road heavy yeah. up through up through mid to late 90s. So then you're doing the road. You're in a club that's got 250 people in it every night. And you're saying, hey, follow me on Twitter. You know, yeah. that's a big deal. And, and you're working seven months a year. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah, it would have been, been a different ballgame. But, you know, hey. What are you going to do? <laughs> oh, no. Just take advantage of it now, you mm-hmm. know, to do the best I can now. Because the great thing is if you find your demographic, it doesn't really matter who they are, what they are, uh, how old, how young. It doesn't matter if, you know, Carolla is a great example of that. He's He's got the uh, biggest podcast out there. Mm-hmm. And, you know... Uh, He's not trying to appeal to 14 to 21 year olds. You know, he just found his God own demo. Awesome for it. You know, yeah, he's got yeah. He's got his he's got his uh his his followers and they're mighty and yeah. uh, you know, and they spend. So that's what you need. So you find that grouping and uh it doesn't matter who they are. You go after them hard. You get him, you'll get your advertisers. Yeah. yeah. I was reading some of the comments of uh his listeners about you uh, and mm. it's yeah, Good for been, you, man. That's him. Yeah, I, I've, uh, I've. It's clear that I'm getting uh, s- some traction with with Chet Waterhouse with his with his folks, so, yeah. which is great, and yeah. they've been great fans. Boy, they're just uh, very, uh, very positive. So I'm digging it. No, that's great. Uh, you know, what we haven't mentioned is the little bit of the acting that you've done. Oh my God, I haven't <laughs> acted in ages. Don't even bring it up. Don't even bring it up. Don't even bring it up. You can find it, but uh, you gotta, you gotta. <laughs> You got to dig. I enjoyed it. That's what I would I do know. it again. Um, but, you know, you really have to dedicate a fair amount of time to that or know people who are going to put you in their stuff. Yeah. Um, so, you know, if I got back in it, and I might try just because I'm of an age where I could qualify as a, you know, hey, bring in a character guy. <laughs> Who's that guy who used to stand up? You know, you know, there might be a niche for that. You just never know. I oh, mean, yeah. you just never know. I mean, uh, I think Colin Quinn's a great example of someone who, who A, of course, brilliant stand-up. Uh, B, as an actor, got a little hot with this, that, and the other thing. Uh, and then Judd Apatow kind of, you know, 
caught him through him in the Amy Schumer movie. Mm-hmm. And, of course, Amy's a fan of Collins from the New York comedy scene, and yeah. they respected each other. So now Colin has some traction, I think, in that arena as the gruff dad or the yeah. the gruff bartender or mm-hmm. the gruff. He's got gruff down. Yeah, yeah. Colin has gruff, gruff ahead of anything. Blue collar wise, Colin has down. Yeah. So, but now he's got a little foot in that door, and he, and he may be able to run with that. So, something like that happens, I'd go with it. Okay. Yeah. We'll see. Did you Did you ever spend time in New York doing comedy? Was that ever no. your thing? No. No. I just would go in to try to audition for Letterman. Uh, that's all I ever did was okay. try to get through. Uh, my brother lived there and he had a studio on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. I'd crash on his floor and go do the clubs. But what I would try to do is book. When I left Minneapolis, I was already headlining. Uh, you know, smaller rooms, Kansas City, Denver, uh, here. Um, you know, places I'd cultivated, St. Louis, uh, Cleveland, uh, you know, that kind of thing. And then I would go to New York, and I would uh, headline or co-headline like Garvin's in D.C. or pick up a gig somewhere uh, working with somebody and just get me to the East Coast. And okay. then I would spend a week or two in New York crashing on my brother's place trying to get into Letterman. And finally I did, and it hit, and they put me on, and that helped immensely. Yeah, I did two Lettermans before I did any Tonight Shows, and that jacked my college dates up. I started making money, jacked my club price, got me into all the good clubs sure. as a headliner. And, and this is NBC Late Night yeah. Letterman. Yes, yeah. right, right, right. Uh, so... So that's the only that's the only. But I always had an affinity for New York because uh, coming out of Wisconsin and then coming out of here, Minneapolis, you know, we had a double edged sword up here. Louis Anderson and Hodgson and myself and all the guys. Um, we there wasn't a club in town that was bringing in any national headliners. That sort of scene was just getting rolling in the early 80s. And we didn't uh-huh. have a club that was doing that. So so I didn't know anybody when I moved to L.A. except Louie had moved there nine months before me. But the, 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 the far greater reverse of that uh, was we got all the stage time ourselves here. I, mean, I was doing two and a half hours of stage time a week. I was one year into comedy. That's unheard of. I mean, you're making unbelievable amounts of mistakes and that's also something young comics have to deal with that i didn't have to deal with nobody had a cell phone so when i got pissed and bombed or or got into it with someone in the crowd and had nothing you know it didn't go anywhere it just stayed at dudley riggs seven corners (laughs) and died a quick death yeah i could pay my dues in the peace and quiet of of my own shame and guilt you can't do that anymore Young comedians have to deal with, you know, everybody's got their freaking cell phone out, mm-hmm. and every inch of your career is recorded somewhere, yeah. somehow, and uh, that's tough, you know. So I got to pay a lot of dues in anonymity so that by the time I got to L.A., I was fairly polished to a certain degree, at least, enough to go out and headline. Um, but I was also bashful and shy, and, and that was interpreted as arrogance, I think, by a lot of people. Okay. Because I would just I didn't know how to go up to anybody and say hello, so I was just standing in a corner. It's just how I am. It's not you. And and you know it's so competitive and so cutthroat out there, especially back at those days. That it was just like, oh, who's that guy? I think he is, you yeah. know. And meanwhile, I'm just swallowing my own, you know, Adam's apple because I'm just so I don't know how to do anything. <laughs> um, in New York <laughs> is where it 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 happened. 
when I would just I went into Catch and I was standing over in a corner and uh, Louis Ferranda, who then went on to book Catch, I mean to book uh, Caroline's, uh, was a bartender at Catch Rising Star, and he just went, "You want a beer?" And I went, "Oh boy, I'd love one," you know. And uh, so I've always had infinity because the New York guys, they'll bust your balls, but they will also understand uh, that you're just a comic. You know what I mean? And that really uh, made me feel great. And so I kind of warmed up to those guys and that scene. And there's a lot more monologists out there anyway. So I really uh, enjoyed my times that I would get through New York. Sure. I heard you do a, uh, an interview with somebody. I never knew this about you. That When Dennis Miller was doing uh, the update, that you were giving him some jokes for that? Well, I mean, here's the deal. I knew Denny from stand-up. We met in L.A., got to town just about the same time, and uh, hit it off immensely right away he's from pittsburgh so he's got that blue collar rust belt thing going on he uh and i had similar deliveries similar writing processes very similar uh so we just hit it off immediately and we were sort of two sides of the of a of uh, of the coin i mean he was a little darker a little edgier a little more uh, uh intense and i was a little lighter and a little more folksy and whatnot but we wrote the same way and you know, in my darker moments, I could write as dark as he could. And in his lighter moments, he could write as fluffy as I could. So we kind of started to balance each other. And um, and then he hit. Uh, but we stayed in touch. And, uh, you know, everything he was doing for Update was all the kinds of jokes we would do. And we had co-headlined on the road and stuff and spent the day writing. And he does a sports announcer guy. And I would do chat. And we would just... Do it endlessly in the comedy condo and just bail everybody out. They would go, shut up. <laughs> you know, we would, but we couldn't help ourselves. We would do it for hours. Mm-hmm. So we hit it off. We're just sort of uh, kindred spirits. And uh, when he got update, uh, SNL was in such a state of flux, and it was pretty much the case anyway there, especially back then. But their writing staff is so focused on writing those sketches that hardly anybody has time to write anything for update. So nobody's writing anything for update. And, you know, that's this big island in the middle of the show. It's 10 minutes in. Yeah. And this was before it was popular to go, hey, I'll just get a bunch of guys faxing me jokes or, email. you know, there was no email or anything. So, you know, so Denny was like, Jesus, I'm kind of on an island here. I'm trying to get people to write, but they just don't have the time. So I said, I said, I'll throw you stuff. I got stuff out on, you know, I was doing the road eight months a year. And, you know, you know when you've got a good topical joke, and you know when it's going to be worthless in three weeks anyway. Sure, sure, sure. So I would occasionally, I'd get on the phone with him just to check with him how things were going, and this was his literally his first year, his first two years on. And then once he got established, then guys would throw him stuff, and they would write in his voice, and he was popular enough where when he would go on the road, it, he would eyeball comedians and go, "You're, I like the way you write. You want to shoot? You want to shoot me some stuff for oh, update?" Oh, very cool. So he started that process himself. But at the very first year, first couple of years, I would just go, "Denny, you want this?" And he'd say, "Yay or nay." So I probably got four or five things on in very a couple cool. of years. It was a blast. Do you have any memory of this thing that I found on YouTube and I ended up posting it last night? I don't know if you happen to see it. It's an it's a satellite interview gone wrong. Uh, it's you and Dennis Miller yes. sitting in a room. Yes, I do remember this. Yes. The whole thing, the whole interview that doesn't work out is on yes. YouTube right now. It, it it's is great. It's so entertaining. It is really wildly, <laughs> wildly stupid fun. Denny is just so funny. 
He's so quick off the top of it, he- his head. He has no regulator. He goes right down to what he feels. He expresses his emotions and and has the ability to make them funny. He's he's still the best at that. He's still the best at that, and a great uh, and a, and a great guy. Uh, speaking of those days, you know, because he liked me, and I mean, I was he. You know, it's not like I was getting five things on a week. I mean, I was just occasionally throwing him jokes. Okay, and well. He was thankful because you know they were usually good jokes, and he could anchor two minutes of the of the uh, update with it but you know it, it wasn't prolific <laughs> you know and yet he still said jeff when you come into town let me get you upstairs so i visited snl at a time when uh, they had a great cast and i was able to befriend those guys to a point where they knew me uh the late great phil hartman and john lovitz and dana carvey and and those are guys i know now very cool. As a human being that yeah. I would never have known had it not been for Denny just going, Jeff, come on up, hang out, watch uh-huh. the process. So, um, And he was kind enough to let me see it first uh, because looking at that process, I said, I don't think I have this, the stones as a writer to hang in this room and take this level of intensity. Okay. So I, I did not pursue ever, not that I would have gotten it, but uh, had I pursued it, I probably would have had a couple of people in my corner. But I just said, I don't, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to sit up till 3 a.m. with 20 other people in a room. Yeah. All, you know, working hard, A, on their sketches, but also B, trying to block in certain areas and get their stuff on. And, you know, the whole politics of it eluded me. And I said, I don't think I'd last two weeks here. Sure. I'm better off on the road. I just want to ask you one more thing. Sure, sure. And that is, uh, I know that... You became a father, like we were talking. I, I have a nine-year-old, an eleven-year-old. Yeah. You have a nine-year-old, nine-year-old girl, and you got—you were a father a little bit older than. Yeah, yeah, I will be the guy wandering around the high school graduation looking for butterscotch candies and a place to lay down. <laughs> That'll be me. All right. How is fatherhood? It's fantastic. You, it's. Uh, I never knew I had this much patience in my life because when you get to fatherhood late, there's a lot of selfish habits you got to break. Um, uh, and you have to break them, yeah. You know, or you or you're going to be a really crappy dad. So, uh, so it's great. Every day is something new, just something impressive. It's so funny. Does she know what daddy does for a living? Does yeah, she, what does she she's get been to a great room out in uh, in uh, Los Angeles called the Comedy Magic Club in Hermosa Beach. Oh, yeah, yeah, great, great room. And she's been out there to see me, and just uh, sits in the back with my wife and watches, and uh, she loves it. She loves it, man. That's very cool. And yeah. You, you took her and she, you took the family on the road this time? This time the family is with me. My, my wife is from here, so it gives her an opportunity to sort of connect with uh, some Oh, she's a Minnesotan? Friends. She, yeah. Yeah, I didn't marry any you crazy You plucked California. a Minnesotan out of here and That's took her correct. out of here? That's correct. That is right. <laughs> I'm not messing around. <laughs> Met her out here. has a head on her shoulders. She That's, knows what she's doing. That's true. And finally, do you ever get, do you get back to Kenosha? I just did Kenosha a month ago. I did uh, the Rhodey Center for the Arts there, which is about a 250-seat room. Uh, great time. I had a great time. I did two shows one night and sold them out and had a blast. It's really fun to go back and uh, do stuff, especially at this age now, and just see old friends and stuff. I it was, bet. It was a blast. And the Kenosha. Kenosha's changed a lot. My hometown is used to be just a f- blue-collar factory town, and now it's essentially the northernmost suburb of Chicago. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. And there's, you know, 
all the factories are closed. It's pretty wild. It's it is a microcosm of what's happened. It's there is crazy. a uh, Minnesota Viking from Kenosha. There is. Oh, uh, uh, is that Trey Wayne's? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Trey, Trey Wayne's. Wayne's. Right. Trey Wayne's and Melvin Gordon came up at the same time in Kenosha. Oh, okay. Uh, I believe both went to Bradford, my old high school. Uh, so yeah, got cousins a couple, of yours, right? Yeah, got a couple of Red Devils in the NFL now. <laughs> Very cool. <laughs> What else? Uh, all right, let's put a bow on this thing. So people need to keep an eye out for your podcast. The Chet Waterhouse podcast on Podcast One. Um, let's see. Then I would say... Obviously, come to Acme here, because this will be out. I don't know if you know. We're, we'll be dropping this today, Jeff. Oh, great. Yeah, so come on some, come on out to Acme this weekend. It's re- it'll really be a lot of fun. And uh, then the Brian Regan uh, Netflix show, which, uh, knock on wood... Uh, if we get this baby sewn up fast, you might see it by, uh, say, summer, beginning okay. of summer, somewhere around there. And Twitter, social media, yeah, Facebook? Yeah, at Real Jeff Cesario. There we go. Hey, I found, thanks for reminding me. I finally got a plug-in. I always, I always fail to plug it. It's hilarious. <laughs> so we can put that at the beginning, too. Jeff, it, this, I've been so excited when I found oh, out. Oh, great. When I saw your name on the calendar back there in the office, like, are you what? Yeah, yeah, I Cesario's know. Cesario's coming to Acme? This <laughs> is, crazy. oh my God, my I'm old looking friend. Forward to, I'm looking forward to having a great time in this room. I can already feel it. Just turn the lights and I'm ready to do 45 right now. It's <laughs> early in the afternoon. Get me out of here. Yeah, there you go. All right, thank you, Jeff. My pleasure. Thank you. Oh.